We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, Best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, July the 22nd, 2021. Today's show, we begin our 2021 TSUS season preview series. Guys, today we are breaking down the Gamecocks offense heading in the 2021 football season. Guys, I'll break down the offense in their entirety. First things first, we'll look back at the year that was for the Gamecocks offense in 2020. Also, key departures, key returners, top storylines for the upcoming season. Also, why they'll be better, why they'll be worse. Season will be successful if, and give my overall prediction for the Gamecocks 2021 offensive unit. Guys, also news and notes to get into your listener questions, and we have a fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks running back Corey Boyd joined me once again, as he did just three years ago, to talk about his career in Columbia, including overcoming adversity, playing for both Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, beating Clemson, being one of the most underrated players in South Carolina history. He also taught new Gamecocks head coach Shane Beamer, his impact on Carolina football and what he's looking forward to in a new era of South Carolina football. Guys, we got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys. So a Gamecock owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, shows the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Guys, we have got a packed show. As you know, I've locked in my predictions, six and six overall, three and five in the SEC. Today, though, we dive in this 2021 Gamecocks football team as we begin the 2021 TSUS season preview series. Today, guys, we are breaking down South Carolina's offense heading into Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield's first season in Columbia. But folks, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, wherever this is finding you, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, maybe you're on vacation, you're enjoying this warm weather. I have no idea. But guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Like I said, we have got a packed show. Also want to say, guys, before we get going, Thank you to, that, to everyone that's continued to show love and support to the content, rocking with the content, rocking with everything we're doing, rocking with the Big Cock Club, by the way. You guys continue to join, continue to show love, continue to show support, and I cannot thank you enough for that. The Big Cock Club has been a huge success thus far, guys. And if you're interested in joining, patreon.com slash Big Cock Club. Again, that's patreon.com slash Big Cock Club. But again, guys, we're rolling right now with live shows at Tin Roof. Of course, the podcast, the Daily Crow. We're out at Villa Tronco on a weekly basis, guys. We are freaking rocking and rolling. And I'm very excited to chat with you here on this Thursday. Because guys, like I said, my record prediction is locked in. But now here comes the fun part. We get to talk about the nitty gritty, really diving depths with this thing and this 2021 Gamecocks football team. So without further ado, again, guys, today we're talking offense. Next Monday, we're talking defense. And then Thursday, we are talking special teams. But hey, let's talk about what's arguably the most fun side of the football, the offense and what the Gamecocks will be looking to take a big jump in in this new era of Carolina football. Guys, before we can look ahead to this season, we got to look back at 2020 and the season that was, and what an interesting year it was, and the storylines that surrounded the Gamecocks offense with a brand-new offensive coordinator in Mike Bobo. Obviously, it turned out to be Will Muschamp's last year, but, of course, you had coming in Colin Hill wins the starting quarterback job about two weeks before kickoff. Marshawn Lloyd goes down in the preseason, and I remember thinking to myself when that happened, guys, and the lack of playmakers that you had on the outside, you know, you had Shai Smith, but outside of that, you really did not have a proven playmaker at the wide receiver position. And then Marshawn Lloyd goes down, who I thought was going to be the focal point of your offense. I literally said last year, I'll be surprised if this offense scores over 21 points per game. I mean, I was very, very down on the Gamecocks offensively. Well, they did exceed the 21-point-per-game number that I pointed out, but not by much. 23.5 points per game a year ago, 10th in the SEC. That was good enough for 98th nationally. And then yardage per game, 355 yards per game. Again, 10th in the SEC and 96th nationally. Here what's, here's what's crazy, guys. In both 2019 and 2020, the Gamecocks finished 96th nationally in yards per game. So whatever that means for you. But really the storyline of 2020 in the Gamecocks offense was the running game and specifically Kevin Harris, who led the SEC, 185 carries for 1,138 yards and 15 touchdowns. South Carolina was sixth in the SEC, 167.9 yards per game on the ground, 60th nationally, and 13th in the SEC and 104th nationally in passing yards per game, just 187 two yards per game. But really, when you think about the Gamecocks offense in 2020, what stood out? What are the biggest takeaways? 
Kevin Harris, Kevin Harris, and Kevin Harris. I mean, he was the feature guy. Um, we still all feel, of course, he's not getting the love he deserves in this preseason. But certainly when you look back at last year, it was undeniable. The type of year he had in a 10-game all-conference schedule, doing what he did. I believe he became just the ninth all-time Gamecocks running back to rush for over 1,000 yards in a season. And again, guys, 15 touchdowns. And he did that all while in an offense where teams knew we were going to run the football. I mean, they knew we couldn't pass. They knew Colin Hill wasn't a threat with his legs. He couldn't get outside the pocket. And they knew if you took away Shai Smith, we can't really throw the football any other way. And Kevin Harris just continued to torch defenses week after week after week after week. And, of course, he returns this year. That's, of course, one of the top storylines for this season that we'll get into in just a bit. Guys, let's talk key departures and key returners for the Gamecocks this season. We'll start with the departures. Obviously, the big one, I mentioned him on the outside, wide receiver, Shy Smith. And, guys, Shy Smith's statistics a year ago. Get this. This is why this one hurts so bad. Shy Smith, 57 catches, 633 yards, 11.1 yards per catch average, and four touchdowns. The next, I believe it's four or five receivers combined for 35 total catches. Shy Smith at 57. The next five guys combined for 35. Your leading receiver now returning, had 11 catches a season ago. So, obviously, on the outside, you lose your big-time playmaker in Shai Smith. On the offensive line, you lose Sedarius Hutcherson, who was drafted the anchor in the middle of that offensive line. And also, I listed this one, quarterback Ryan Holinsky, who you lost due to transfer, and many fans, you know, of course, were upset about this one, wanted him to come back, compete for the starting quarterback job. But I think when you saw the direction that Salcon is going at the quarterback position, I think it did make sense for Holinsky. But that was one, certainly, that fans, I think still to this day, probably have real trouble coming to grips with his career, how things went at South Carolina guys. And I'll tell you, I mean, after 2019, I thought Ryan Linsky was the quarterback of the future. I thought he was going to be here three, four years, be the guy, whatever. But it just goes to show, man, in college football, you, you just never know. You, you just never know. Be careful before you anoint a kid the savior of your football program. All right, let's talk key returners for this 2021 football season and this offense specifically. Of course, guys, you have to start with running back Kevin Harris. I already talked about it before, what he did a season ago, rushing for 15 touchdowns, leading the SEC in rushing yardage. I mean, this dude's the real deal. Again, he's not getting as much love and respect as we think he deserves in these preseason All-SEC teams and preseason All-American teams. I say this, guys, who really gives a damn? Who gives a damn? The only All-SEC or All-American team or all-whatever team you want to talk about is the one in postseason, and I promise you, I'd be shocked if Kevin Harris is not there yet again at the end of the season. You return him, tight end Nick Muse, who I think in the passing game, you know, coming back, he's going to be your most proven guy in the passing game, and most likely Luke Doty's best friend, especially in third down situations. You really saw Nick Muse come on at the end of the 2021 season. Also, I listed running back Marshawn Lloyd coming back from that injury, we've seen videos. He's 110% now, and I think it's certainly going to be that two-headed monster, 1A, 1B of Harris and Lloyd in the backfield. And finally, quarterback Luke Doty started the last three games of last season for you. Um, a mixed bag, if you will, but a former top 100 recruit. He has undeniable athleticism, and I think the ceiling, the overall upside for Luke Doty is most certainly there. So you do return pieces, but notice that I mentioned 
no wide receivers because that is one of the biggest question marks going in this 2021 season. And again, we will touch on that more in just a second. Guys, let's talk top storylines for the Gamecocks offense going into this 2021 football season. And you have to start here with the coaching staff. Of course, it's a new era of Carolina football. Shane Beamer taking over as head coach, Marcus Satterfield as your offensive coordinator. And the number one question that I feel like is surrounding Gamecock football is this. Just what does a Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield offense look like? What is the offensive identity going to be? of this football team in 2021. And I think the things that excite that excites me and excites most South Carolina fans is this. I think for the first time in what feels like forever, this is going to be a coaching staff. It's not going to be so set on running a scheme and a system, but is more so going to play to the talent that it has on the roster. Because you look at this team, right, guys? I've been preaching this for the last couple of weeks. I feel like the last couple of months I've been saying this. When you look at this team, it's no secret what the strengths of this team are. you got four or five starters in the offensive line back. You've got Kevin Harris. You've got Marshawn Lloyd. You've got an athletic quarterback. And right now, you look at the wide receiver position as a deficiency. This is a team that should revolve around running the football. When you look at Shane Beamer, of course, being under Lincoln Riley and Marcus Satterfield working with Joe Brady just a season ago, what this offense will look like this year versus what it's going to look like in, let's say, two, three, four, five years, I think are two very, very different things. Again, I don't think Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield, just listening to those guys, I don't think they're set on you know running a system and running a scheme and we're going to do this, we're going to do that no matter our personnel. I want to believe, I like to believe, and I do think that Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield are going to develop a scheme and a system around the talent they have to work with offensively. Again, but what does that look like? Is South on a team that runs the football 70% of the time? I mean, I think the real question is this, just how balanced can the Gamecocks be offensively, right? With the lack of options on the outside, at least lack of proven options on the outside and the strength you have at running back. I mean, it would tend you to, you know, would lead you to believe again, like I said, you're going to be a team that runs the football a fair amount. But again, we just don't know because we've never seen a Shane Beamer and Marcus set up an offense. I talked about this actually, guys, on the Daily Crow yesterday. Here's one of the most intriguing storylines of this overall season. What type of game day coach is Shane Beamer? What type of game day coach is Marcus Satterfield? What type of adjustments, you know, do they make in game? Because one of the things, it's just a fact, there isn't a coordinator or the head coach of this football team that has any power five experience. Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, and Clayton White defensively, but speaking to offense, Marcus Satterfield has never called a play at the power five level. Shane Beamer has never been a coordinator. He's never been a head coach. So it really is a blank slate. And the Gamecocks, hey, maybe it's a benefit. Maybe they can take some, te some teams by surprise because there really isn't a ton of film to watch. And I don't think anybody really knows what they're going to do. So again, one of the top storylines for sure, Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield. What are their goals for this offense? What do they want to do offensively in Columbia over their tenure? And what will they do this year offensively in year one of the Shane Beamer era. Of course, guys, to have a great offense, to have a chance, you got to have a quarterback. And without a doubt, that's one of the top storylines going in this season as Luke Doty takes over as QB1. Now, I know many of you listeners are going to say, Chris, well, what about the quarterback battle? What about the quarterback competition? Hear me out. There was a quarterback competition in spring, right? And I believe every position is open, right? Everybody's fighting for a starting job. Everybody's fighting for reps, all that good stuff, all that coach speak, whatever. 
But in my opinion, if there was really a quarterback battle and if there was really a quarterback competition where it was neck and neck and it could really be either guy, I don't think you see Shane Beamer name Luke Doty after the spring game. Now, of course, after the spring game, because fans don't draw any crazy conclusions or anything from the spring game, right? No, of course they do. People saw Jason Brown throw a couple of touchdowns to EJ Jenkins and freaking out saying, oh, he should be QB1, he should be QB1, and having this, this quarterback debate, if you will, of Luke Doty and Jason Brown. And looking back, see, I didn't really understand it at that time. I was like, you know, I'm surprised Shane Beamer is not letting the quarterback battle sort of go into fall camp. But looking back, I'm like, he's a genius. He's a genius because he's taking the power out of someone like my hands and your hands and people that talk Gamecocks and social media's hands, right? Because, hey, if he wouldn't have named a starting QB, we would have gone on and on, back and forth, Doty Brown, Doty Brown, Doty Brown. And now I really haven't seen much of that chatter, to be totally honest with you. But again, Luke Doty takes over as QB1. He is QB1 going into fall camp. Shane Beamer spoke at SEC Media Day saying, hey, Luke Doty's our guy. It's his responsibility to continue to impress and earn the job and keep the job. But, you know, as long as Luke Doty does not literally lose the job in preseason camp, he is QB1 for the Gamecocks. Now, the question centers around Luke Doty. We know he has incredible athleticism. Can he do enough with his arm? Can he do enough in the passing game to give the Gamecocks somewhat of a downfield threat that can open up those running lanes for Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, Jaquandre White, Rashad Amos, all of those guys. But again, like I said, to have a chance, you have to have a quarterback. Do the Gamecocks have that guy under center? Because, guys, it's been what feels like a really, really long time since Carolina has truly had a game changer at the quarterback position. Can Luke Doty be that guy for you this year? Again, I talked about earlier the running game. Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, specifically Harris. One of the top storylines, of course, we're all going through the preseason saying Kevin Harris isn't getting the love he deserves. Uh, he, he, he's not getting recognized the way he should. You know, if he played for Alabama, he'd be a preseason first-team All-American. And while that all might be true, guys, like I said, who really gives a damn? We know he's a great player. The SEC knows he's a great player. And my question is this, just what does Kevin Harris have in store for an encore? Again, last season, guys, in a 10-game All-SEC schedule, he ran for 1,138 yards. 6.2 yards per carry. That is insane. Those are insane numbers. And 15 total touchdowns in 10 games. And guys, like I said, what was craziest to me is he ran for 15 touchdowns and teams knew we were running the ball. They knew that's all we could do was run the football. Now, the question is this. What does Harris have in store for an encore? And how are the carries divvied up because my next point my next storyline is this can Marshawn Lloyd stay healthy and be a playmaker and if he can I certainly think it's going to be a 1A 1B scenario now I am I am not as quick to anoint Marshawn Lloyd you know the second coming and say oh he's going to be the starting running back because I feel like that's a slight and some disrespect to Kevin Harris and what he did a season ago and what he's done I mean he has earned the right to be the starting running back. There's no question. But, hey, that's a great position battle as well. But I can tell you guys this. When you speak of the running game, and I mentioned this before, it's a great problem for Salcon to have. It's really not even a problem at all. But it's a great situation for the Gamecocks to be in, and you'd like to see this more at every single position. You've got great players, 
battling for limited touches, right? Who's going to get the majority of the touches? And I'll say this about Marshawn Lloyd, because we've seen videos. He's healthy, 110%. He's ready to go. And I think we all believe if he can be healthy, he's going to be a playmaker. He's going to be a difference maker for South Carolina. But I'll tell you guys this. If Marshawn Lloyd is 110% healthy, and he is the guy that South Carolina recruited him to be, if he is the dude, if he's as good as advertised like he was on the recruiting trail, five-star player, highest-rated recruited running back or signed running back since Marcus Lattimore, if that's all the case, Marshawn Lloyd is the best running back on this roster. And I know that might sound crazy. That might be blasphemous. I'll put some respect on Kevin Harris's name. Bro, I love Kevin Harris. I love Kevin Harris. Both are going to touch the football. It's going to be 1A, 1B. Hey, Kevin Harris is the bus. Maybe Marshawn Lloyd is the Lamborghini. I don't know, but I'd imagine those dudes. That, I mean, it's one of the best tandems in the SEC in a conference where you truly do need two great backs. But if Marshawn Lloyd's healthy, if he can stay healthy, he's the best all-around running back on this football team. But I can't wait to watch. Again, what does Kevin Harris have in store for an encore? What type of season does he have? Hey, this is a money year for Kevin Harris. He has another big season. He can most certainly go in the NFL draft. I'll say this about the running backs. Again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But I think one of the two guys will go over 1,000 yards. I don't think both will because I think the carries, again, will be divvied up. I'll be interested to see how Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer, how do they handle that position? Specifically, you know, how do they divvy up carries? You know, the last staff, I hated that it was all, it was way too much of, oh, let's just go with the hot hand. Well, no, you need to have your number one guy when it's third and one, when it's fourth and short. And I think that, I think the thing that's great for South Carolina, great for Marcus Satterfield when he's talking offense and, 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 you know, strategizing and making a game plan, they're two different, very different running styles. I think we'd agree, you know, while Kevin Harris does have home run ability, I don't want to take that away from him, but, Kevin Harris is much more between the tackles, big physical running back. Marshawn Lloyd, I see very much more as your scat back, uh, going outside the tackles, you know, catching the ball to the backfield, making guys miss, spin move, juke, whatever. I see him more as that home run threat type of guy. And again, what a great situation for the Gamecocks to be in on the offensive side of the ball. Moving into the next top storyline, guys. I've taught running game. We've taught quarterback. But – Similar to last year, the question is this, who's going to catch the football? And it's even more emphasized this year than it was last year. Because, guys, guess what? At least last year, you had Shai Smith. You had wide receiver one. There have been very, very, very few seasons that I can recall where we came into a season and said, hey, we have no clue who our number one option is on the outside. Because with South County, you know, the, the history is not great, right? Our overall history in football, it's not great. But one position we have produced at for damn sure is wide receiver. We have always had these big physical dudes, these playmakers on the outside. Guys, your leading returning receiver this year, like I mentioned earlier, had 11 catches. 11 catches a season ago. To call the wide receiver position anything other than a major question mark and honestly a deficiency at this point is it's, it's, it's just being naive. It is. But the question is this, who steps up at wide receiver? Because as I mentioned after the spring game, and we've been talking all summer, all preseason long, you have plenty of options. Hey, the transfer, Amarian Brown. You got EJ Jenkins who will split out between tight end and wide receiver. You got, you know, the, the, the guys who have been on campus a couple of years, Josh Van, Jalen Brooks, uh, Xavier Leggett, Rico Powers, Jerkari Caldwell, or Trey Smith. 
You got a bunch to carry on joiner. You got tons of options. You got a bunch of guys who steps up to be a dude for South Carolina. And you don't need them all to be great. You don't need all 10 of them or all however, however many there is. You don't need all of them to be great. You just need a couple, three or four guys to be at least, if nothing else, consistent options for you on the outside. You know, we talked about the record. I've already blocked mine in six and six, three and five in the SEC, but six and six overall get into a bowl game. If the Gamecocks are going to get to a bowl game, this is a question that has to be answered. Who steps up at the wide receiver position? Is there anyone in that room who can, who will, I should say, step up and be the number one guy, right? Is there anybody in that room who has the ability or will do that? And again, out of the guys, like I mentioned, like the Josh fans and the Ortre Smiths and the Jalen Brooks and the Xavier Leggett, I mean, can you get anything out of those guys? Again, those are guys that have been on campus for whatever reason. They haven't produced, whether it be drops, whether it be underdevelopment, whether it be injury history, whatever it is, for whatever reason, those guys have not produced. You know the running game is there, but at some point, you're going to have to throw the ball to win a football game. You're just simply going to have to. Do you have guys on the outside that will step up and go from being just another guy on the roster to, hey, I'm a dude, I'm a playmaker? Got a lot of guys. Got to find some dudes at wide receiver. Speaking of the pass catchers, something that should help and another big storyline going in this season, the tight ends. And we all loved hearing Nick Muse at SEC Media Days on Monday saying, hey, South Carolina fans, just to let you know, we are going to throw to the tight end. Music to Gamecock fans' ears. Gamecock fans' ears. I hope nobody calls in a Shane Beamer's call-in shows and says, hey, coach, we're going to use the tight ends because I see South Carolina running a lot of 12 personnel. I see South Carolina running a lot of multiple tight end sets, having two, three, heck, maybe four tight ends on the field at one time. You have Nick Muse, who, you know, I, I know we love to throw the jokes around and pick at Nick Muse, and Nick Muse likes to go back and forth with fans every now and then, but Nick Muse, solid option at tight end. You have a guy like Jaheim Bell, who is a very versatile player who reminds me a lot of the dudes that Shane Beamer, those guys at Oklahoma who were kind of your H-back, tight end, receiver, sort of all around just hybrid player. I think Jaheim Bell is most certainly primed for a very big year in Garnet and Black. You start talking about EJ Jenkins. Again, the St. Francis transfer, six foot, seven and a half. I mean, I've met this dude in person and we saw him in the spring game. Absolute monster and a mismatch nightmare for opposing defenses. Um, and then you got Key Mullins. Um, You've got – who are the other guys I'm, I'm missing? You've got, again, Jaheim Bell, Trey Kenyon, Key Mullins, uh, Eric Shaw. So you've got plenty of options there as well. You've got plenty of guys at the tight end position. How much of a factor are they in this offense? Because I think they will be a very big one. Again, we talked about Beamer and Satterfield. They've made it very clear. I mean very clear. They want to and are going to use the tight end in their offensive scheme and offensive system. And you have good ones out there. Be very curious and interested to see how much, how often they go to the tight ends. How much can the tight ends help this passing game? I think that will be the big thing, especially early on in the 2021 football season. Guys, final top storyline for the 2021 season. And I maybe saved the best for last, to be totally honest with you, with all due respect to the running game and Harris and Lloyd. How about the guys they'll be running behind? And hey, this is a great place to start when building 
your football team, but most certainly building your offense, and that is the line of scrimmage. Because Shane Beamer, again, the cupboards, we know the cupboard's not empty, right? And there are some legit ball players on that offensive line for South Carolina. Four of five starters return, 84 career starts, anchored by Dylan Wanham at the tackle position. Right now, guys, a projected starting five you have at left tackle, Ja'Kai Moore, left guard, Jordan Rhodes, center, Eric Douglas, right guard, Jovan Gwynn, and right tackle, Dylan Wanham. And you've actually got depth there, which Shane Beamer mentioned as well. Guys, like I said, and one of the, you know, the offensive line really got thrown under the bus last year for the the pass pro, right? The, the number of sacks, I think it was like 24 or 25 or heck, might have been 26, whatever. It was way too many sacks in the 2020 season. And while I understand, listen, they were not great in pass pro. Pass pro was a weakness, which was so crazy because we were so good at run blocking, but pass pro was so porous. Well, I think a lot of that, you know, the offensive line, take responsibility, put it on them, whatever. But, you know, a, a, a quarterback that had concrete shoes on and no outside threat, really outside of Shai Smith, didn't help the offensive line at all. So I think you'll see those numbers improve. I think they're better in pass pro than what they showed a year ago. And again, is this a top two or three offensive line in the SEC? No. But when you have, again, four or five starters back, 84 career starts, that is a really, really good place to start when you are building your offense. You can do something with that. Hey, it doesn't matter if you've got a great quarterback or a great running back or great receivers. If your offensive line sucks, most likely your offense is going to suck. So if nothing else for Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, I know they feel confident in this group. You do have a solid foundation to build around because as Shane Beamer mentioned, hey, line of scrimmage, he mentioned this a couple of times. Line of scrimmage, if you got good line of scrimmage, kicking game, you can win some ball games. And guess what? South Carolina on both offense and defense should be pretty sound this year on the line of scrimmage. Guys, let's get into why they'll be better while they'll be worse in the 2021 football season. And of course, this is comparing them to 2020, talking about this upcoming season, why they'll be better, while they'll be worse. And again, we will do this for both defense and special teams as well. We'll start with why they'll be better. And I've talked a lot about Luke Doty. And I, I know there are still fans out there that, you know, the jury's still out, right? He's only played in three games, has had very limited playing time, right? Very, very young player. He was a true freshman last year. But there are some that still are not sold on Luke Doty. They're not sold on his passing ability. Heck, they're just not sold on him as a quarterback as a whole. And that's totally fine. You are entitled to that opinion. You can think whatever you think about his throwing ability and his ability to run this offense and win football games at South Carolina. But I will tell you this, because I do think, and I actually have two points listed here while they'll be better. The other one is the injection of a modern offensive scheme, okay? And both of these sort of piggyback off each other. But the number one reason why I think South Carolina offensively will be better in 2021, and if you notice, if you look at my predictions, my game-by-game predictions, some of you were like, Chris, you got some really high scores here. I think the offense will be much improved in 2021. And the main reason, the number one reason is this, simply this, athleticism at the quarterback position. I think Luke Doty, again, he runs a 4-4. We all heard last year he was the fastest guy on the football team. He has undeniable athleticism. He has undeniable speed and quickness and agility, which I think he will desperately need this year at that position. Because, guys, here's the thing. 
Guess what's going to happen a lot this year with wide receiver being an efficiency? And guys, it's an efficiency until somebody steps up. It just is. With that being an efficiency, if you get in third and longs at any point, which it's football, guys, at some point you're going to get behind the sticks. At some point you're going to get in a third and seven, third and eight, where, hey, we're going to have to throw it. There's going to be a lot of times this year where Luke Doty or whoever was at the quarterback position, they're going to drop back. And guess what? Nobody's going to be open. Right? Nobody's going to be open. Guess what you're going to have to do at that position? Improvise. Get outside the pocket. Make guys miss. Make something out of nothing. Does it sound like anybody familiar? Oh, a guy that went undefeated at home and is the best quarterback in school history? Does it sound like that guy <clears throat> just a little bit? So I think athleticism at the quarterback position is something we have not seen in so – I mean, it's literally been since Connor Shaw, since the Gamecocks had a true – athletic quarterback, a guy who can make something happen. I mean, how many times, guys, did we see Connor Shaw on third and seven, third and eight, scramble for the first down? It's just a backbreaker for the opposing defense. It just sucks the will right out of the defense. And it's such a game changer. And I think Luke Doty, again, why, is he knows the, the best passer on the roster? Is he the best passer, of course, in the SEC? No, I don't think so. But he doesn't have to be because the strength of this football team is going to be that big offensive line running the football and, again, him using his athleticism. So, again, I think inserting a dynamic quarterback like Luke Doty automatically is going to make this offense better. I think it's going to give defenses hell for a lot of the season. Again, are they going to be the best offense in the SEC? I'm not saying all that, but I think simply having an athletic quarterback, a dynamic quarterback back there, and guys, like I told you, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And in today's college football, like I mentioned, the injection of this modern offensive scheme with Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, guys, modern college football, with as athletic as defenses are, if you don't have a dynamic quarterback who can make guys miss and get outside the pocket and make something out of nothing, you, you really don't have anything. I mean, there just aren't many teams outside of maybe Alabama where you can have a guy who's a statue and drop back five steps and just give it off to his playmakers. But – even with Bam, I mean, they've come around too, guys. So, again, athleticism at the quarterback position, I think, is going to be the biggest game changer for South Carolina offensively in 2021. Now, on the flip side, why they'll be worse. Why could the Gamecocks offense be worse in 2021? And it's very simple. The wide receiver position continues to be a deficiency and remains a question mark. Like I said, you got that big offensive line. You've got Kevin Harris. You've got Marshawn Lloyd. You've got Zaquandre White. You've got Rashad Amos. You've got Muse and Jenkins and, and, and Luke Doty at the quarterback position, a dynamic player. But if nobody can step up on the outside, if you cannot at least make defenses respect the threat of a passing game, of the over-the-top deep ball, if you cannot make safeties respect you in the passing game, because, guys, early in the season, I think you're going to see it from everyone. And if I was a defensive coordinator, I am stacking the box. I'm playing man and saying, I dare you to beat us with the pass. I dare you to throw it because I don't think you have anybody on the outside that can do it. And if this offense is going to be worse, and I, again, I know it's crazy because you were ranked again 10th in the conference in both points per game and yards and almost 100th in both those categories as well. So it's hard to think, really, that this offense could be any worse. But if they are worse, it will be because of just the lack of options, the lack of a threat on the outside will be an even bigger deficiency than we originally thought. So 
Why they could be worse in 2021, simply put, nobody goes from being a guy to being a dude. The wide receivers are playing a question mark, and that, that deficiency shines and hurts even more than we projected going into this 2021 football season. Guys, let's move into season will be successful if, okay, for the Gamecocks offense in 2021. I talked about quarterbacks. I talked about you have to have a quarterback to have a chance. And for me, for South Carolina, the season will be successful if Luke Doty comes into his own as QB1. I mentioned this before, guys. For the Gamecocks to get to six wins, which is the goal in Shane Bieber's first year, getting to a bowl game, right? That is the objective. Get to a bowl game. You know, whether you win or lose the bowl game, whatever, just get to six wins or more. You maintain a momentum in Shane Beamer's first year. You built in the preseason. You feel really, really good about what you're building. You feel like you're maybe, quote, unquote, ahead of schedule. That is a successful first season for Shane Beamer, getting to a bowl game, right? And if the Gamecocks are going to get there, if they're going to get to six wins, Luke Doty has to be that guy under center. And I am not sitting here telling you all that he has to go throw for 5,000 yards and be an all-conference player and be an All-American. No, no, no. He doesn't have to do that. But he has got to be a field general, right? Hey, use your athleticism, Luke. You got two great running backs that we know of right now. Hey, you got a stable of them, actually. Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, Amos, White. I mentioned them all. You got four or five linemen back. You got a big offensive line to help you out and protect you and open up running lanes for those guys. But Luke Doty, be that field general. Come into your own as QB1. Lead the football team. Don't turn the football over. Be accurate and efficient when you do throw the football and use your athleticism to be dynamic and make plays and make things happen. If he can do those things, if he can do those things, because, again, Luke Doty's a question mark, too. Very unproven. Again, we didn't see a lot of him last year. He's very, very unproven. And, again, his first year being QB1 and being in a new offensive scheme, there's a lot of question marks out there. But for me, for this offense, even if the wide receivers are a question mark this year, I think the offense will be exponentially better if Luke Doty can come into his own as QB1. If he can be that guy in our center and remove all the doubt, like the last thing this team needs on offense is a week-to-week, oh, who's starting a quarterback this week? Oh, this guy should start. That guy, no, we need to all lock in. Luke Doty needs to take that job by the range and say, I am QB1. I am QB1. Is Luke Doty a perfect player? Is he a perfect quarterback? Absolutely not. But guys, I'll tell you this about Luke Doty too, and I'm going off on sort of a tangent about Luke Doty. But when we're talking quarterbacks, I know there's many of you still tuned in saying, man, you, you got to give more love to Jason Brown. What about the competition? Guys, when you look at this offense and the strengths and what South Gun is going to be really, really good at and what they're not going to be quite as good at, obviously it's run versus pass, right? And so if I know I'm going to be a football team that most likely runs the ball 70% of the time, right? And I'm running a lot of RPO and a lot of spread and all that. And I know wide receivers at efficiency. Who would I rather have running that offense? The guy who's got the bigger arm and but lacks mobility? Or would I rather have the guy that can still throw the football, by the way? Maybe he's not the most elite passer, but he can still throw the football. But as a guy that runs a 4-4 and can get outside the pocket and improvise and make things happen with his leg, guys, it's a no-brainer. So I wanted to get that out there. But again, season will be successful for the Gamecocks offense in 2021 if Luke Doty comes into his own 
as QB1. All right, let's move to my prediction for the 2021 unit. Prediction for the Gamecocks offense in 2021. And like I told you guys, not to spoil my prediction, but I've already put it out there. I do think this offense will take a major step forward in Shane Beamer's first season. And like I said, is that saying a lot? Because, hey, they can't get much worse than they were a season ago. They truly can't get much worse than they were a season ago when it was, like, painful. It was painful to watch Carolina offensively at times. You had a quarterback that was not a dynamic playmaker, couldn't get outside the pocket, wasn't a threat to anybody. Defenses were able to just pin their ears back and go. You know, Kevin Harris was certainly a bright spot, but you lack that offensive playmaker under center and you lack those guys on the outside. I mean, wide receiver was a huge problem last year, as we all know. But I think with the insertion of Luke Doty, I think with Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield taking over and the injection of a modern offensive scheme, with the return of Marshawn Lloyd from injury, with, I do think, Justin Stepp, those guys, they're going to develop some guys on the outside. Again, the receivers can't be worse than they were last year. Let's just be totally honest, okay? They're going to develop a couple of guys. I'm not saying the receivers are going to be a strength by any means, but I'd like to think maybe a Dak Joyner comes around. I've talked about Amarian Brown a thousand times. I think he can be the guy that's at least the deep threat, over-the-top threat for you. EJ Jenkins, Nick Muse, Jaheim Bell, the tight ends in the passing game. I think they'll be a big part of it. I think we all believe and know the running game is going to be there on a week-in, week-out basis. And it better be because in games where South Carolina cannot run the football, I think they're going to massively struggle. But with that being said, my prediction for this unit, the offense going into Shane Beamer's first season, lock it in. I think they'll be much improved. I got the Gamecocks. I think they're going to average near 30 points per game. I think you're going to have one of the two running backs will go over 1,000 yards. I don't think both will, guys, just because there's only a certain number of tiers. Hey, if they both do, bro, that's great. You probably went eight and four if you have two backs over 1,000. But I think one of the two backs will go over 1,000. I think Marshawn Lloyd will be the big-time playmaker we all envision. I think Kevin Harris will have a really, really nice season. Does he hit 15 touchdowns again? Probably not. Does he even hit 1,000 yards? I don't know, but I think that's going to be one hell of a one-two punch, the best in the SEC, in my opinion. I do think the tight ends are going to be a major, major, major part of your offense. I think Nick Muse will have a really nice season. I think Jaheim Bell is going to blow up this year, by the way. I think EJ Jenkins is that mismatch nightmare. And then the wide receivers. Like I said, I think a couple will step up. I still think it's going to be a deficiency. I still think it's going to be a weakness. You got to get some playmakers on the outside and recruiting because, guys, I'm just having a hard time investing any stock in guys like Josh Van and Ortre Smith and, and uh, you know, Xavier Leggett and guys who have just been on campus a couple of years and they have done nothing. And we'll break them down more when we do our position unit previews and we talk specific position units and we talk specific guys but I, I I don't think I think the receivers will be better but how much is that really saying so I think they'll struggle I think this will be a Gamecocks offense that will lean on the running game I'm expecting them to be 70-30 run guys I've said it before and I'll say it again I think in games where South kind throws the football 30 or more times I think they lose every single one of them so hey you know what your bread and butter is. You know what your strength is. Run the football. But with that being said, with the injection of Luke Doty, his athleticism, and a modern offensive scheme, I think they'll be much, much better in 2021. Again, averaging near 30 points per game. And I actually think 
the offense, I think the offense is going to be the strength of this football team. I think Shane Beamer's first year, he's talked about it a lot. He understands the importance of offense, having an explosive offense. You know, we talked about during spring, explosive plays, explosive plays. He just said that over and over and over and over again. I think he understands the importance of, hey, the days of 1980s and trying to run the I formation and win games 17 to 14 and 21 to 20, those days are over, man. You better score 50. You honestly better score 50 if you want a chance to win in modern college football. So, I think the Gamecocks offense will be a much, much improved unit in this 2021 football season. Guys, that's going to do it all for us. That's going to do it all for the TSUS season preview series for the Gamecocks offense heading into the 2021 football season. Guys, let's get into news and notes really quickly, and we got a ton of listener questions to go over. Two things real quick. Another welcome home, the big welcome home that you guys kept asking about. Hey, who's that welcome home? Where's that welcome home? Well, he finally announced, he finally dropped his commitment video, four-star defensive back, Keenan Nelson Jr. of Philadelphia, finally has locked in. Guys, the name we had heard for weeks, the, the, the hot rumored name that it was, it is indeed Keenan Nelson Jr. So again, Shane Beamer, Torian Gray, those guys continue to just crush on the recruiting channel, I think Keenan Nelson Jr. guys is, a, is an immediate impact guy. I really think he is, and it's crazy how I feel like man they're they're flipping that defensive back room. There's no question, they are flipping that defensive back room, turning it from a weakness to a strength. You love to see it again, continuing to add quality football players. And Keenan Nelson Jr. now the highest rated recruit in the Gamecocks 2022 recruiting class. And I think I saw somewhere South Carolina's up to 15th nationally, and I think fifth in the SEC, which. After last year, after just seven months ago, where this program was, what it was doing, incredible. I mean, it's incredible the job that Shane Beamer and that entire coaching staff have done to this point. Another quick note, guys, Kevin Harris did get some love yesterday, named to the Doak Walker Award watch list, which I think we all know this, but the Doak Walker Award awarded to college football's top running back. So, Never know. Maybe Kevin could be a guy late in the season, could be competing for that. But again, great accolades nonetheless and very well-deserved. Kevin Harris named the Doak Walker Award watch list. Okay, let's get into your listener questions, guys. Austin G underscore 45 says, can Jalen Brooks develop and grow into wide receiver two? He's been talked about a lot since spring. Can he? I mean, from what we heard, he has, you know, athleticism, quickness, speed, obviously, a very speedy guy. He's a big guy, too. Um, I mean, the question you just asked, Austin G, remove Jalen Brooks's name, just put any of the other guys. Put it, put any of the guys. Can they? I don't know. I don't know. Is Jalen Brooks capable of being a, a big-time, consistent offensive weapon in the SEC, or is he not? I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. Justin Stepp is the assistant coach that has the greatest opportunity in my mind to make his presence felt in year one. There's, there's just no question. Because this position has just been such, such a deficiency, such a such an issue for South Carolina over the years, or at least last year, the last couple of years, I should say. Um, he has a chance to flip that room and really develop some guys and change some guys and put them in the best possible position to be successful. So whether it's Jalen Brooks, Xavier Leggett, Josh Van, or Trey Smith, Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell, Dak Joyner, I mean, whoever it is, I don't know. But Jalen Brooks, you feel like he's got a skill set? Can he be that wide receiver too? We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Krusty Andy, 
What are our top three offensive weapons in your opinion, Christopher? Pulling out the Christopher, my goodness. Top three offensive weapons. Kevin Harris, number one. Okay. I think you got to go Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd, one, two. I I think you have to. One, two, and the number three, I think right now, I mean, you have to say Nick Muse. Again, you have to go off the knowns. You have to. Okay. We can project DJ Jenkins, and I can project Damarian Brown because I think Damarian Brown is going to be wide receiver one for you. We can project all those guys, but until they do anything, it's all just projections. So right now, going in the season, the guys you can count on, both your running backs, Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, and then Nick Muse at tight end. Everyone else is a question mark. Literally everyone and everything else is a question mark. Tej underscore Kofi says, our few strengths seem to lend themselves to a two tight end 12 personnel base set. Am I way off or no? No, Tej, you're right on the money, my friend. You are right on the money. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, again, you got to play to your strengths, man. Running the football, I think it's no secret. That's going to be a strength for South Carolina. There's no question. There's no question. That is the strength of this football team. No doubt. Anyone who tries to argue otherwise is crazy. So, yes, you are correct. Um, that will certainly be – that's the personnel I expect to see South Carolina in week after week after week until at least somebody on the outside steps up. And you have a lot of great tight ends as well. And, again, Satterfield and Beamer have said we want to use the tight end. So, I'd expect to see that. Uh, Gatling underscore images says Rico Powers. Any expectations? Again, another big-bodied guy, a guy that was you know a fairly highly regarded guy on the recruiting trail. Here's the thing, man. I am not, and maybe this is the the must champ effect or whatever it might be. Like, I'm just not setting any crazy expectations for the wide receivers at all. I'm just not because we're gonna really find out this year, guys. You know, a lot of guys we say, oh, they've been underdeveloped, they haven't been utilized correctly. Well, we're gonna find out this year. Hey, was it really just coaching? Or are you not quite as good as we thought you were? So, you know, Rico Powers, certainly another big-bodied guy, a guy, he's going to have his opportunity. He'll have his opportunity to make an impact, but I'm just kind of entering the season, man, at wide receiver with a blank slate. Like, hey, just somebody step up, you know? I'm not going to go into the season. I mean, I've talked to Morgan Brown a lot, and I've talked to EJ Jenkins, but, you know, I've talked Dak Joyner here and there, but I'm really not, like, hyping anybody up until they do something. Do something on the field, man. Show us on the field. Be a playmaker on the field. Last question, Tom.Heaton.575 just says, wide receiver. Yeah, hey, good way to put it, just wide receiver. It's, it's a huge question mark, man. Again, I know running the football is going to be the strength of this team. I know running the football is what we're going to lean on in this 2021 season. But at some point, at some point, you're going to have to throw the football. You're going to have to throw the football at some point. And again, you don't need – six, seven guys to be elite. You don't just find two or three, literally just two or three that can be, if nothing else, consistent options on the outside. Just consistent options. That's it. Again, they don't have to be all SEC, crazy playmakers. Nope, just consistent options on the outside. You do that. Hey, you do that. And it will change this offense. It will completely change this offense in my mind. Guys, we got two questions from Facebook, and then we'll get into our interview. Bruce Atkins says, what is your offense going to look like? Pro, some type, hybrid air raid system. We know the run game is there. Got to get the wide receivers involved somehow. Yeah, again, that's the number one question. Wide receivers. Wide receivers. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? So I think the offense, again, I think, I think it is going to be a, a lot of spread, RPO, 
again, using Luke Doty's athleticism. I think it'd be foolish to not use his athleticism. So I think you're going to see them do that. But uh, yeah, man, the key is finding just something in the passing game. Michael Jones, last question. Are we going to throw it to the tight end? <laughs> How aggressive are y'all willing to be on fourth and manageable? I mean, I don't think you're going to see South kind of like go for it on every fourth down. You know, I know that's something Gamecock fans want to see after the previous regime and previous staff was was so conservative at times and was so, you know, didn't have the willingness to take a risk and not kick that 52-yard field goal and go for it on fourth and four or go for it at midfield. I'd like to think there's going to be, and that's something we're going to learn about Shane Beamer and Satterfield. What are they like on game day? Are they more aggressive? Are they more conservative? Like, what do they like to do? You know, I, I think that that's something that we're going to, we're just going to learn as we go, but I don't think you're going to see them lean all the way, one way or the other. Like, you'd like to think you got to pick and choose your spots. Hey, there's going to be times we feel like we like the matchup. We got a great play called. It's fourth and four. Let's go for it. Or we don't like the matchup or we're not on a good side of the field or whatever. Hey, Let's punt it. We'll let our defense do their thing, whatever. So, but I will be curious with the defense most likely being a question mark, how aggressive will South Carolina be on offense in those fourth and manuals? You bring up a very, very good point. Guys, this has been one hell of a show. And guess what? It's not over yet. We have a fantastic conversation. Great interview. Friend of the show, my guy, former Gamecocks running back, Corey Boyd, as he joined me for one hell of a conversation, guys, you guys are really in for a treat. Because I tell you this, Corey's a guy, just listening to him talk, you know, it goes so far beyond his statistics, and but the way he played the game, the attitude he played it with, and you can hear that in how he speaks about his playing days and what he did on the field, guys, you will be ready to run through a freaking brick wall, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at manscaped guys the sun's out bums are out and hopefully your pubes are not out also flip-flop season's upon us and you're out here with those post-pandemic toenails guys don't worry our friends at manscaped have you covered they just launched their fourth generation performance package and their shears 2.0 nail grooming kit guys join the manscaped movement by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off and free shipping with the promo code t-s-u-s-20 guys we've all been there right we're trimming up, we're cutting up, we cut ourselves, nick ourselves, we're bleeding, it's burning, it hurts. No bueno. Nobody has time for that, guys. Switch over to Manscaped. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the new Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer will change the way you approach your grooming routine. This fourth-generation trimmer features advanced skin-safe technology to reduce grooming accidents. You don't want any ingrown hairs or snags on your boys before beach season. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and an on-off travel lock and it gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off. Guys, if the power grid goes out in Texas again, you can use your lawnmower 4.0 to illuminate the, illuminate the way with this LED spotlight. Guys, this trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower and not worry about your cleanup on aisle D. Yeah, Manscaped just has a way with words, don't they? The Performance Package 4.0, it also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ears. Guys, the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-plate system. Say that five times fast. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent snicks, snags, and tugs in those sensitive little nostrils of yours. Guys, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to keep you on your game in the heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed 
travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash-tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. You're probably wearing flip-flops, and people don't want to see those nasty, unclipped toes of yours. Guys, you need this stuff. Get your stuff today. Get your Manscaped packages today. 20% off and free shipping, by the way. The promo code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. Guys, tame that summer swamp in your pants with Manscaped. And on that note, folks, appreciate you all tuning in. Enjoy this conversation. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks running back Corey Boyd. All right, joining us in the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2003 to 2007. During his career, he accumulated 464 carries for 2,267 yards, which is 12th most all-time in school history. He also recorded 23 rushing touchdowns, 8th most in school history, 117 catches out of the backfield, which if if you didn't know, the most ever by a South kind of running back, also 1,303 yards receiving, five total touchdowns receiving the football. He also helped lead the Gamecocks to the 2006 Liberty Bowl win over the Houston Cougars, was taken in the seventh round of the 2008 NFL draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and played pro football for the Bucks, Broncos, and the CFL with the Argonauts and Eskimos guys. But beyond the statistics, one of the greats to ever put on the Garnet and Black, and not just statistically, but the way that he played the game, and I'm sure he's a big fan of mine because I listed my top five running backs, and sure enough, he was in that top five. So maybe I built up some brownie points. But no, seriously, appreciate him taking the time. Friend of the show, first time we've had him on since 2018, former Gamecocks running back, Corey Boyd. Corey, I appreciate you taking the time, and it's a pleasure to have you on. It's been way too long, but thank you so much for doing this yet again. Thank you for having me. It's been, yeah, you said some time, man, but it's, it feels like we feel like we've talked many, many different times before this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We've, we've definitely kept in touch. No question. Now, Corey, again, like I said, we chatted some time ago, so I do want to talk about go back to the beginning for you because you're from orange, New Jersey, went to orange high school, played under two legendary head coaches in Lou Holtz, Steve Spray. Yeah. It's right there behind you in the background, but just talk about the recruiting process for you. You were obviously a pretty highly uh, regarded guy and, uh, you know, you chose South Carolina, chose to play for Lou Holtz and Skip Holtz and that entire staff. Just talk about the recruiting process. Who were the schools that came down to? Why'd you choose South Carolina? It was it's, it's simple now, you know. Mm. Uh, recruiting was I needed to get out of New Jersey. Coach Gooch was very he was very persistent at you know, keeping me at my position at running back. I was, you know, one of the best at being an athlete. So um, between South Carolina and Wisconsin, those were the only two schools that really wanted me for strictly running back. Every other school wanted me as an athlete. And I kind of just favored the offensive side a lot more and, I only took actually two of my official visits and that was to Wisconsin and to South Carolina. And when I came to South Carolina, it was, it was like home, you know, I knew people from, you know, my state that went to the school, Uh, you know, it was just the hospitality, 
the school in itself, you know, was, was beautiful. I also knew that um, the football uh, movie, the program was actually filmed at our school. And that was one of my favorite football movies ever. Um, but I didn't know that it was at, you know, South Carolina until, you know, like I say, I took a trip here, um, confused a little bit, uh, uh, excuse me, a little bit about Southern Cal mm. in South Carolina because <laughs> the SC, because that's, that was what Coach Gooch kept recruiting me off of, was like, yeah, come to SC, come to SC. We got the Garnet in Black. And I'm like, wait, Garnet in Black? I thought... Southern Cal was like garnered in gold or something like that. But that's a whole nother story, man. But the journey here was, you know, it was amazing. Uh, I loved every moment of, you know, my recruiting visit, uh, just picking Lou Holt's brain and, you know, just having them, you know, really, you know, connect with my family, knowing that uh, we had Demetrius Summers, uh, one of South Carolina's best high school running backs ever uh, coming in at the same time. You know, I just love competition, you know, and I just felt like what Coach Holtz and his staff were promoting about coming in and, you know, contributing to the team immediately. That was something that I was like, hey, D1, Power 5, I don't think I'll get this type of opportunity, I'm, uh, you know, handed to me like this. So, you know, I, I did everything that I needed to to make sure that everything aligned up perfectly. And, uh, you know, hey, the story is, <laughs> has been written and mm-hmm. continue to be written. I'm sure it was a selling point too, Corey. Again, coming into a Lou Holtz team and the offense at that time, I remember, I mean, you knew that the running backs are going to get the football. I mean, it, it was a, I feel like it was a run first offense, definitely balanced, but a, a, an offense that centered around the running back position. Um, you talk about Lou Holtz, though, and again, you played for two Hall of Fame coaches and very, very different personalities, very different ways of approaching the game and, and the way they went about things, but both extremely successful. Talk first about Lou Holtz. Again, you mentioned picking his brain, learning from him, and he was a guy, you know, he's obviously going to demand the most out of you. I've had your former teammates on, and of course, the last time we spoke, I mean, Lou Holtz is one of those hard-nosed, old-school no nonsense. You better show up every single day and, and put your best foot forward or you're not going to be playing very much. But just talk about, again, especially being a youngster. And I know you were a guy that obviously went through and you're still going through a lot of evolution and a lot of growth. And I have to imagine Lou Holtz was a guy who certainly assisted you in that. Definitely. That was one of the selling points of me coming to the school was that, you know, you would have coaches that would help develop you into being a man. Um you know, it really wasn't a lot of football that he had to sell me, you know. Um, it was more so talking about the state in general, the history of, of the university, uh, the brotherhood, the love uh, that you will receive from the fans. You know, he sold the fan base. And coming from a small inner city, for me, I was like, hey, he's on to something here. And I knew of Lou Holtz. Uh, when he was in Notre Dame, you know, knowing he likes to run the ball, he likes to have multiple running backs in his offense, you know, that chance, like I said, you know, immediately soon you getting on campus, you know, was exciting to me. You know, I did my research a little bit more about the school, you know, after I, um, you know, committed, you know, I was like, hey, 
I started looking at a depth chart and creating a depth chart of my own, excuse <laughs> me, you know, off of what Lou Holtz had, had told me about, you know, what I was walking into. Mm. And, uh, you know, just his fatherly advice on, um, you know, navigating through being a college athlete was more so what I took from him more than being on the football field because what he did do for me on the football field was <laughs> he challenged me. Mm. He challenged me mentally. He challenged me physically and he even challenged me spiritually. Mm. So I always respected that little guy for that, you know, <laughs> um, but when it came to what I really took from him was the fatherly advice, you know, the caring for your athletes, for your players, you know, they're, they're human beings too. You know, he, he told us about his life and he was more per personable, you know, about, you know, what he had going on, where he came from and what he's been through as a coach. Um, so, you know, he, he was more of a storyteller. He grasped me, you know, and with his stories more so than his coaching. <laughs> For sure. Well, that freshman season, Corey, I want to jump to that again. We'll get into Coach Spurrier here in just a little bit. But that freshman season, uh, you, you definitely got on the field, made a contribution, you know, ran the ball 58 times for 232 yards, three touchdowns, also caught 11 passes for 145 yards and one touchdown. But for better or worse, the moment that everyone remembers you for in that freshman year is that Virginia game. And I know we talked about this last time, and we definitely want to pay respects to the guy on the other end who I don't think he ever played football again after that, which is unfortunate, but just – one of the realities and risks of the game, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, the headbutt, the hit in Virginia. And I feel like that was one of those plays, though, Corey, that really sort of defined you as a player. Like, I know we talked about it last time, and I want to get more in depth because you still, to this day, I tell people have one of the most electric quotes I've ever heard on the airwaves doing this in regards to your running style and how you run the football and being the hammer, not the nail, and punishing the other guy. That was your game. That was your running style. And again, you popped right up after that. But people remember that. Corey Boyd against Virginia. That is one of those memorable plays. I mean, just talk about that. Again, I guess for you, that was just playing football. But, I mean, that entire sequence of events, and, I mean, that was a legitimate car crash in the middle of the field. Man, to be honest, it was my welcome to NCAA hit. Yeah. You know, it was like, <laughs> hey, it was enough to let you know, okay, you could do this. You know, uh, nothing else should ever surprise you like that ever again and you know I contribute that a lot to the Lou Holtz coaching staff and Demetrius Summers his game style the way he played you know he was more of a shifty back and I don't think uh Lou Holtz wanted two two of the same similar backs you know so I had to separate myself and I felt like that was a better lane for me hey I come from, you know, a tough background, you know, when I had a small line in high school, you know, I felt like, hey, you know, if there wasn't a way, you got to make a way and always make sure that you the hammer and never the nail. So, you know, I was able to switch my my style up when when Lou Holtz wanted a different look. And then, you know, when he needed me at the wide receiver spot, it was, hey, I could transform over to that. It was even at one point he wanted me to play defense. Hey, I transform over to that. I just wanted to be out there contributing, being who I could. I, I knew I could be for my team at that time. So, you know that in, that that hit against Virginia was more so 
I was ready for it physically, but mentally it let me know that, hey, you know, you can hang with the big boys, you know, even though it wasn't an SEC game, still it let me know that, man, you know, I could stick around and if I prepare myself a little bit better, work on my skills, I can make some good things happen. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to finish his career, but, you know, I was able to get up, look around, the crowd loved it. And, you know, from there, you know, once the, once I won the fans that, that 80 plus thousand that, you know, Lou holds and his staff always preached about, I said, man, I can do this. This is home. I'm going to do whatever I can for this school. I'm going to lay it all on the line. Good, bad, the ugly. And Hey man, they're going to let me grow. Now, Corey, switching gears a little bit, who was your favorite running back growing up or the guy you looked at the most? Because I feel like with your style, you were a very well-rounded player. Again, like you mentioned, you were hard-nosed. You're going to make a way if there's no way. But you also did – you had some moves. Don't sell yourself short. I mean, we all remember <laughs> 2006 Middle Tennessee State, which I don't – I mean, I don't think I've ever seen more missed tackles on a play or more guys made miss on a play. But you were elusive in that regard. But then also – what impresses me most, man, like I said in the beginning, 117 catches out of the backfield. It's not even close. You had the most in school history for a running back. So a very, very well-rounded player. Was there a guy you looked up to or admired, like in the NFL or in college, that was sort of that similar style? Or was, was there anyone you tried to model your game after? Or was it just simply something you decided early on, hey, I want to be this well-rounded football player, this, this well-rounded ball carrier as a whole? I contribute a lot of my style to a lot of running backs. Um, I, I, I watched Barry Sanders growing up, Bo Jackson, you know, Emmett Smith. Um, you know, I came up watching all of the classics, NFL classics, when the NFL channel was first coming out. And any football that I could watch, I watched all running back style, you know, Earl Campbell, you know, Jerome Bettis, Natron Meads, uh, but a lot of them, you know, you, you know, you had to pick and choose, you know, what you could take from certain running backs that they mastered. And then, you know, you had to have, you know, learn, learn your own swag, I guess, if that's something at mm -hmm. that time. But, you know, my favorite running back of all time is uh, Barry Sanders. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I tried to take a little bit of, you know, LT style because he was a good, you know, uh, running back to catch out the backfield. Westbrook was a good running back that caught the ball out of the backfield. So for me, you know, I just like a lot of running backs that were versatile, mm. you know, and I just knew that, hey, if I could pick and take a little bit from here, take a little bit from there, it would make me a complete back. So that's what I was trying to allow myself to become was a complete back. And then, you know, like I said, if I needed to go to the wide receiver spot, I had the height, I had size, um, you know, and it helped that, you know, basically everything that I did, you know, at Carolina, I also did in, in high school. So the coaches trusted my hands were good enough to go out and, you know, do the things that I was able to do. So. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that you got all of those stats and you remember that because I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, Google's a, a very useful tool, my friend. But yeah, they should be. Hey, they should be plaster on the walls in the indoor facility. That's all I'll say. And I think they probably are, to be honest with you. But either way, you know that that actually <laughs> that actually served you very well being a versatile back because your next head coach was Steve Spurrier, and you talked about Emmett Smith. Yeah, he liked versatile running backs, and he likes versatile football players, and he just likes guys that can make plays and score touchdowns. And certainly, you did that for him. But I want to talk about, you know. The thing I like, honestly, Corey, one of the things I like most about your career is it wasn't just sunshine and rainbows and you did face adversity because I think those are the best stories, right? Those are the best, the, the overcoming and people who have to literally overcome adversity and kind of rise up the challenge and find themselves, if you will. Before we get into the 05 stuff, all that, whatever, Lou Holtz retires. Steve Spurrier gets hired, though, and I mean – the, the hype for Carolina football is at a fever pitch, right? I mean, Steve Spurrier was a guy that most people thought would never come to USC, and what do you know he does? Just talk about the transition from Holtz to Spurrier, because, I mean, I'm sure for you, that had to be really exciting. You're thinking to yourself, okay, like, I'm going to get the football. Like, I'm going to get an opportunity to score. This guy loves offense. We're going to move the ball up and down the field. But Spurrier's a very particular dude. He is a very sharp, witty guy, and he has different relationships with different players. And I know the relationship you had with him certainly evolved during your time there. But those first interactions and overall your relationship with Steve Spurrier, what stands out most for you? Uh, to be honest, I was a little bit taken, you know, taken back, you know, because I knew of him you know, for him from his time at Florida. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of lost at what I wanted to do because at that time we were going, like you said, through a transitional stage where a lot of guys were leaving out. Mm. Um, the program in itself just was starting to look a little different. Um, coachings that, you know, promised you certain things were no longer there. So I, I kind of contemplated going back home for a little bit and going to uh, Rutgers, but I did my research a little bit more on, you know, what Spurrier was about with his running backs, you know, looking at, you know, Coach Gillespie, <laughs> uh, who ended up being one of my, you know, running back coaches and looking at some of the running backs that he had there as far as, you know, I believe it's uh, – Fred Taylor as well, that was there with mm -hmm. him. Uh, Ernest Graham as well. So a lot of these guys, like, you know, I watched them when I was young. So, um, you know, seeing what he, he, how he utilized them throughout his offense, I saw that it, it would just open up greater opportunities for me to stay on the field, help be a leader on my team, you know, and, I, it wasn't easy. You know, I had to, you know, really uh, pick his brain and, and learn how he, you know, would utilize me. You know, I had to find my comfort zone as well. with him, And that was one of the greatest things that I loved about him that a lot of people don't know is that, you know, I stayed around after practice, after video and, you know, hey, Coach Spurrier, you know, just it's like, you know, leaving that teacher, that apple. <laughs> just so you could get your grade up a little bit. Right. You know, I picked his brain a lot about, you know, the game just so I could, you know, try to be those type of running backs that, uh, you know, I believe he was looking for because he always felt that the talent that we had on the team at the time um, wasn't as up to par as what he was used to. Mm. 
But like I said, that was another challenge that I wanted to explore and, and let them know that, hey, man, you're 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 inheriting some dogs out here. Mm. You know, we just need to, you know, be, you know, retooled and, and, and put back together and we'll do some special things for them. And, and as it went, you know, we, we were the first ones to, you know, start them off. And, mm. you know, he was is our greatest coach, you know, that our school has ever ever had no matter what people feel about his departure or whatnot you know he he came to do what he came to do he did it and you know he gave the program back to the fans in in the players yeah and you certainly saw that like I said getting that started in the 2005 season when you guys were able to beat Tennessee beat Florida I mean really turn things around and really get it going like you said but you weren't a part of that 05 team that did that due to the suspension stuff and stuff like that. But I want to talk about 2006. You get back on the field against Mississippi State. You know, we've been doing our countdown to kickoff. And, of course, every year at 54 days, I think it is, it comes up. Your 54-yard touchdown reception, Blake Mitchell to Savelle, then he hits you deep on a beautiful trick play. But in that game, you had 12 carries for 93 yards. You averaged 7.8 yards per carry, by the way. And you had four catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. I mean, again, just talk about that game as a whole, getting back to college football and how sweet that was for you after going through that adversity in 2005 and getting reinstated back on the team and doing what you did in the 06 season. I first want to thank you for even asking that question. Uh, This is the first time anybody has ever asked me this question because it also leads to why I embarrass myself and almost embarrass my university mm-hmm. on live national t- TV. And even though I've apologized for that again, I mean, mm-hmm. and, even I'll I'll, I, and I'll say this not to cut you off, Corey, but I know that like from our interactions and seeing you comment on social media, what's funny about it is most people look at that as a legendary moment. And I think most people know what moment we are talking about in the Mississippi state game with you and the camera, whatever. Most fans, though, I mean, like 99% of them, when they look back, is like, oh, that's a legendary moment. But you obviously view it very differently. And so, I mean, I'd love to hear, because, again, I know that's just another, you know, life lesson and a teaching moment. And that's one of those things where you grow and you develop as a young man at that time, but a human being. And you look back, I'm sure, and you look back at that moment. And, you know, I'm sure you look at it a little bit differently than maybe you even looked at it in that present moment but anyways not to cut you off but it's just interesting how that's like from the fan side of things we were like oh that's you know that's that's one of those legendary clips of all time you know put that out on social media and for you it's different but for you it's different but for you it's different yeah it's it's different because i'm much smarter i'm older now you know i'm more mature now uh i understand the influence of what music can do um you know, it, it was, it was, it cost me millions. It cost me money, you know, um, not knowing that I would be viewed negatively, you know, just for reciting uh, some artists lyrics. But, you know, if it, if it happened like now in today's society with social media and everything exploding the way it is, yeah, I pretty much would be a legend and, and you know, <laughs> it would be great. But, you right. know, hey, I guess I, I'm always ahead of my time. But, you know, um, that game, a lot of people, you know, don't know, you know, I had to, you know, really gut check myself for a whole year. 
never stopped playing football ever in my life until that year. And I was able to get my academics in order, but to miss out on the game that you love and all you are is a practice dummy, because that's exactly what I was for the whole year. Mm. I just prepped uh, the, the first team defense or special teams. I was always the best guy on the other team, you know, scout mm. team, you know, just helping our, kid, our guys get better. So when I got the opportunity that first game, man, I said I had to, I had to do something or make a, a, a statement some way, somehow. Mm. I never meant for it to be a negative statement. It was to let people know, hey, I'm back. You know, whatever you thought I wasn't going to be, I'm here to reclaim it. Mm. And it just went south, it, especially after a long run. You know, you're excited. You know, fan, You know, family is watching. You know, you want to shout out as many as you can and hey you know the ignorance came out of me let's just say that you know but I'm glad that I was able to experience that because you know every you know let your last mistake always be your greatest teacher you know and that taught me a very valuable lesson and I hope that it teaches some of these young ones a, a lesson rather than it make me legendary on that but you know hey what can I say well, and the great thing is this, Corey, it didn't define you. Obviously, your play on the field did, and that 2006 season was a great season for you. Just looking at the stats, again, you ran for 823 yards, and I think we talked about this last time. What was so impressive, man, is every single year of your career, you know, your freshman year, you averaged four yards a carry, and then your sophomore, your junior effectively 06, and then senior effectively 07, you averaged five yards per carry, five yards per carry, and five yards per carry. And, again, that gets me back to – the quote you had the last time that we talked, and again, if you want to expand on it again in regards to your running style, but, uh, you know, you were a guy, you were elusive, you know, you, you could break tackles, you could dance, you could do all that, but you made it very clear the last time we spoke that, you know, you can do all the juking and jiving you want, but at the end of the day, you better be able to gain yards or you're not going to be playing very long as a running back. And obviously that was the attitude and the mentality that you had. And it obviously worked very well for you. Yeah, you know, this is football. This is a contact sport. That's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. You know, backyard, you ain't trying to shake too many people. Listen, I came up in my first ever, uh, like, football game that I ever played was a game called Free For All. Mm -hmm. And that's one ball, as many players can play as they want. And when that ball go up in the air, whoever is man enough to get that ball and try to make all of these guys miss, you the man, you get a touchdown, you good. You can walk off for the rest of the day and say, man, I beat 50 guys. So for me, I was taught like, you know, listen, if you ain't got no way, you make a way. You know, there's no excuse. If if somebody keep nailing you all game, man, you making them look good. So for me, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to be on nobody's poster. I'm not going to be in nobody's newspaper clippings, being the guy that's getting ran over and we laughing at them. So for me, my, my mentality was always get them before they get you, you know? So my, my mentality is, man, you can't always shake your way through a hole, man. Sometimes you got to go straight through it, just like a, 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 a needle in the hair. Like, man, you got to go straight through it. So, you know, as I continue to see that a lot of the defenders that were going up against me were either smaller or the same size it was like okay now it's man the man ball now it's heart to heart and if you stick me 
with the hit stick, I got to live with that. And that means all of that weight room and all of that, that I be trying to talk tough, it, it ain't going to work because, you know, it, it ain't working, whatever. I got to go back to the drawing board. So, you know, I'm glad that I had some good strength and conditioning coaches. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I'm just glad that uh, I, I, I always came out majority of the time on the, on the other end of it, the best side of it. You know, I just wanted to play consistent ball. You know, I was told as a running back, <clears throat> excuse me, the best way to stay consistent is to make one cut and get north. All of the dancing, you know, lead that for the dance with the stars. <laughs> <laughs> now, Corey, your running style, again, the chip on the shoulder mentality, it, it goes very well with – this thought that you talk to many fans, they say, oh, Corey Boyd, he was underrated. He was underrated. Did you feel underrated? Do you feel like you're underrated? I mean, did, did you feel when you played like you felt like you were underrated? Now that I'm older, I can, I can sit back and, and I won't say brag a little bit on myself, but <laughs> I would say, yes, I feel very underrated. I've always felt underrated. I've always felt like I was the underdog, even though I've, always captured the limelight is because I demanded it in a certain way. You know, that was God's way of, you know, keeping me in the limelight. You know, he could have chose any other running back or any other player, but, you know, that's why I'm grateful spiritually for what God has done for me and helping me realize who I am because Lord knows, like, <laughs> brother, I, 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 I did everything that you could ask of a running back to do in the SEC, give you five yards consist, consistently. I don't know, you know, if giving me more touches would have helped or hurt it, <laughs> but, you know, I was just grateful enough to be placed in the positions to, you know, do what I was able to do for our, our university as a running back. And I'll say this too, Corey, and I, I read this more so for the fans that maybe did not know this, and this is not a slight to anyone else, but you actually finished with more all-purpose yards, all-purpose yards now in your career than Marcus Lattimore. Which, And again, that's just for the fans more so. I don't know if you knew that, but that is, that is for the fans because I, I read that and it's like one of those things that it was like, wow. You know what I mean? That, I mean, that's, we all know who Marcus Lattimore is and what he did and what he accomplished. Corey Boyd finished with more all-purpose yards than Marcus Lattimore. So I'm just putting that out there. I'm just – and it's all, all love I to Marcus. Mean, I mean, it's – the fraternity of running backs at South Carolina is fantastic, by the way. Tons of great backs. Tons of great backs. But but that's just – you know, that's just, that's just for controversy. You know, I, I don't I, – we have to stop looking at it in that nature. You know, Marcus, you know, his impact – on the state of South Carolina, you know, before playing at the university and then even when he gets to the university and even after the university, you know, I, I admire the young man, you know, because I see a lot of myself in him, you know, and our stories being similar in certain type of manners, you know, um, I'm just grateful that our university has had the opportunity to have these type of talented individuals who have gone out and have captured the hearts and the minds of not just our fans, but many statewide, internationally, 
you know, all over. And, you know, just to be in the conversation with the young man and George Rogers and so many others that have come before me, you know, I am a grateful individual, you know, um, who I, who I was on the football field was a totally different individual. You know, it was someone who had something to prove, something to gain and somewhere to go. And it was by any means necessary, (laughs) you know, and a lot of the times, you know, like I say, I came out on the better part, but it was a lot of times that I didn't. And there was, you know, that's where the growth and development needed to take place, you know, and I was grateful that my university allowed me to, uh, you know, go through a lot of those things off the, off the field, but they allowed me to prove myself on the, on, on the, on the, on the playing field. So, you know, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, for sure. And, and not to cause controversy, by the way, I just, just to shed light even more so on your career was the point, but Anyways, we, we, yeah, we understand tons of great backs at Carolina. Hey, either way, you talk about though, again, you, you didn't do a ton of juking and jiving and dancing around, but one game where you did, and I got to highlight the play that Middle Tennessee State game, the screenplay, if you will. And I mean, I'll, I'll just ask you, have you ever had a more memorable play or a crazier play? That may not be, you know, when people talk about your career, it may not be the very first play they talk about, but it's it's one of the first two or three. I mean, that was – I remember I was at that game in person, and that's one of those highlights you can go back and watch, and it's just – I mean, like I said, I think you made, like, double-digit guys miss on that play. I mean, when you look back at your career as a football player as a whole, I mean, that had to remind you, like you were talking about before, is like that, that backyard football just – making guys miss, spinning out of tackles, like, get me if you can. Like, it was just one of the craziest, still probably one of the craziest runs I've ever seen. Yeah, it's funny because that game was a game that I was also challenged again by two coaches. One, the head coach, because he was just a coach with us, Coach Stock. And then, you know, my running backs coach was, uh, you know, just passing the word down from Coach Stock that – he um he said to coach uh g hey i don't see Corey making nobody miss nowadays he just want to run everybody over so he came in the locker room before the game and you know he always used to tell me little things to get me hyped get me focused and just you know you know retool my mind refocus my mind and i remember him coming in that game he was like yeah man he said you look stiff they said you look like a, a just a big back, like they just gonna tag you all day. I said, Oh, okay. And he was like, Well, man, what you gonna do about it? I said, All right, no problem. And I think if you watch that whole game, I was a little bit more shiftier that game than any other game that I've ever played because I wanted to show Coach Stock that I had some hips, man, because you know, I don't like nobody challenging my running style. So, you know, when I had got the opportunity, that play was amazing. It was a screen to the right. It was set up beautifully. My offensive lineman got down the field, got to the second level. Uh, you know, safeties came down. Their feet weren't, you know, planted. You know, they were out of control. I saw that there was a good opportunity to get on the outside on the right. Made a, put, my foot in the, put, my, put my foot in the ground, darted to the right. I seen a group of folks, uh, gave them a little extra little move. <laughs> All three of them fell on top of each other. Okay, let's get up the field. You know, another one coming. Everybody thought I was going to get caught, uh, make a spin move. Uh, you know, I felt like I was playing Madden or something. 
was playing. But no, honestly, I fe- I felt like uh, it would help my uh, EA Sports ratings too when I was a uh, running back. <laughs> help them, you know, because my juke, my juke and elusiveness on on a college game day was okay, but it could have been better. I thought after that, oh, they definitely gonna boost me up a couple. I'm trying to tell you, we used to act like that in the locker room too. <laughs> Well, I know you're a big NCAA football guy. The way you were you were coaching me last week, which we'll get into that more in just a second, by the way, because I was like, Corey knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to this. NCAA. I could tell you're one of those guys playing NCAA football quite a bit in, in the dorm room. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, Corey, I want to get into the Carolina Clemson rivalry because again, like I said, one of my favorite things about your story is just overcoming adversity and growth and self development. But you overcame adversity because I think it's interesting for those who may forget. Again, you played in four Carolina Clemson games. And 2003, one of the worst losses of all time. 2004, the opening kickoff. You, you, I mean, look, you got speared, ball comes out, that game, the brawl, all of that madness. 05, you don't play. 2006, 16 carries, 106 yards, 6.6 yards per carry. You had a touchdown at their place. You and Mike Davis just eviscerated that defense. How sweet was that for you? Up there at their place after the str- – I mean, you you had personally felt victimized, I feel like, probably from the Carolina-Clemson rivalry. And then you get the W and the way it happened with the dramatics and, you know, just, just talk about that day, that game. Again, you ran the football beautifully. You guys, the offensive line played incredible. Like I said, Mike had a great game too. But uh, overall, that day, that game, how sweet was it for you? It was a great feeling, you know. It was coming off a, a year that I missed playing them. I had to watch from the sidelines the, the year before. And it was like I I understood the magnitude of the game. You know, I understood what it meant to have those bragging rights, to bring back that trophy to, you know, maybe 3,000 you know, in the stadium, just sitting there waiting for you, you know, like what time, 12, one o'clock in the morning, really still out there waiting for you after you win a game like that. I've never experienced that. You know, I've always, I, you know, my first two years, I was dealt with the, the rough hand, you know, losing to those guys and, you know, really feeling like you let the state down, you know, and, That year, it was just something that was just in the air. Me and Mike Davis said in the locker room, man, we got to go off. This is because that was the year they had CJ Spiller and Mm -hmm. James Davis. uh, Yeah, James, you know, and I'm like, man, Mike D, listen, we the best two running backs in the state of South Carolina. We got to take it personal. And sure enough, Coach. Coach G, our running back coach, was always with us. So he's like, yeah, so what y'all going to do? Y'all going to make a statement or not? What's going on? They got Gaines Adams. They got this guy. They got that guy. What you going to do? And it was, uh, it took me back to, you know, like I said, the last time I played them was at their home, at the brawl. So now it was like, okay, it was, I get to, you know, make up for that last game being here you know that like you say the last time I was there opening kick return I get knocked the ball fumbles even though I did score uh in that game but you know it was it was a little bit different my junior year I knew a lot more about the game I knew a lot more about the rivalry um I I believed a lot more in my junior well yeah my junior year's team 
than any other team that I had ever played for. You know, we had some young, hungry guys that were willing to go and put it all out on the line. They were dogs just like me. And it was like, I, I, I would take that team, you know, in any battle, you know, in that game, man, it was just very special. It seemed like coach was calling the right plays. He was running the ball a little bit more. And, we, you know, we just rolled the run game and we played. We, we actually had a pretty balanced game, you know. Mm. A lot of things went our way as well. And, you know, we were able to quiet that whole Death Valley, you know, and to really have our fans meet us at the end zone, at the end, at their, at their place. It was phenomenal. And like I say, to bring that trophy back home and see all the fans that, you know, just appreciated our, our efforts and, you know, what that, that game meant, you know, for the, for the, you know, for the school and just for the state in general, man, it was phenomenal. It was, it was something that I'll never forget. For sure. And Corey, I want to jump to your senior year, which it's crazy. Like I said, man, you read off these statistics and, and people don't think about this too. We just talked about Mike Davis. Like you were, you know, I don't know if splitting carries is the right word, but you weren't getting a hundred percent of them. You know what I mean? Like that's just keep that in mind too. When people talk about statistics and stuff like that, I mean, there were multiple backs on the team, but either way, your senior year, 903 rushing yards, again, five yards per carry, nine rushing touchdowns. You also had 36 catches for 405 yards, a touchdown. I know that senior year was very much a mixed bag because that's the year, you know, of course, 2007, we all remember you guys start out six and one, ranked six in the country. You had the big Kentucky game, which we talked to, we talked to Eric Norwood a couple of weeks ago and what a legend he is, by the way. But uh, talked to Eric a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, we talked about the battles you guys would go up against each other, bashing heads in practice and all that. But that year specifically, and of course, you had the big game against Kentucky too. But when, when you look back at that again, I, I know – I can hear the sigh, obviously, and there's a little bit. It's a bittersweet thing because while you statistically had a really solid year, I know you didn't close out the season and close out that year the way you wanted. I mean, when you look back at it, I mean, are there more positive or negative takeaways? And what I'll ask you specifically, what do you think happened that year? What do you think happened in that second half of the season? Too many wasted plays, too many wasted opportunities. Now I understand what, you know, Steve Spurrier was talking about, you know, Oh, man, it, you know, I still I have a highlight tape of nothing but the last games, the last five games of our season. And to see how, oh, man, we dropped the ball on a lot of things, you know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of guys. Uh, how can I say this? A lot of our guys. I wouldn't say our minds weren't focused on the, on the goal at hand. You know, it was, I don't know. I don't know. I think we were so focused on being ranked and, mm. you know, having that, that, that good start that it was like, nah, we can stop the bleeding. Nah, this ain't happening to us. Nah, we got Steve Spurrier. Nah, we can make adjustments. And then about time we look up, it's the last game of the season and we staring down another field goal to determine if we going bowl bowling or not. And unfortunately, we weren't able. We weren't on the on the winning side that that year. And it, uh, I think there was, I think ESPN or somebody caught a capture of me crying in my last moment watching that field goal. I was praying. I'm like, no, like, 
oh, it can't. I mean, I didn't want it to end like that, but I'm glad that I did end it on my own field, mm. you know, giving it my all against, you know, our state rival. You know, hey, win, lose, a draw, you know, we gave it all we had. I loved every moment of that game, the rivalry. It, it, it embodied me. And, uh, you know, hey, I ended up, what, one in three? But, hey, what can I say? You know, sometimes the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the rabbit gets away. Mm, <laughs> for sure. Now, and, you know, it's funny, Corey, I accidentally jumped over from that 06 season, one of the highlights, which is fine. We'll save the best for last. The, the Houston game through the Liberty Bowl. I mean, obviously, that was a huge win at that time. Steve Spur, your second year, and obviously you got the bowl win. Um, 18 carries, 94 yards, two touchdowns in that one. Four catches for 45 yards. You had a big game. The offense had a big game. Memories from that game overall. And that was a hell of a game and a shootout. And uh, the late, great Kenny Mack had had a couple of touchdowns in that one as well. Rest in peace, Kenny McKinley. Um, but, yeah, that Liberty Bowl game, what, what do you remember? Because, I mean, again, at that point, that was a huge win for the South Carolina program. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that was that was a team that I said I go to war with anybody, you know. And when we were out there, we actually, you know, while we were doing the celebrations and, you know, enjoying the city or whatnot, we ended up running into the Houston team. And um, the first person I met was one of my close friends now, which is uh, Aldrich, you know, and he came up to me. We called him Quick. So I was like, what's going on, Quick? He like, hey, what's going on, man? You know me, brother. I'm 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 the best running back out here in Houston. They don't know me. You know, I'm about to let the world know that we're about to give it to y'all. And I'm like, okay. That's when they had Cobb and mm. you know, everybody, you know, they were on the high. They were, they were all feeling themselves. They was the Houston team that shocked a lot of people that year. And they had an up-and-coming quarterback. And uh they were making some pretty good noise, but you know, we when we met them, we were like, man, y'all ain't playing in the SEC. So they were like, let's see, let's see. So we almost got into a little, you know, scuffle uh, when we were out there. But um, even heads prevailed and we said we'll all put it out on the field. So a lot of tension was in that game where a lot of, you know, people don't take the bowl games as serious. You know, you go to enjoy yourself, play the game. Hopefully you win as a unit, but we all know how that goes. Sometimes you get, you get surprised, but you know, we got out there on that field, man. And we, we took it as though uh, that was our SEC championship, you know, and uh, they had, they, they were pretty uh, heavy, dominant, uh, quick, quick game, uh, uh, team so you know they had a deep thread in their their wide receivers they had a quick little running back one two punch and you know it was a pretty evenly matched up game you know but when we got out there it just seemed like um you know they were expecting us to throw the ball a lot mm -hmm. and that's when coach was just feeding me mm -hmm. and uh you know gratefully my line came to play that day they got off the ball and you know, me and Mike Davis got off a lot of big chunk, chunks of yardage early on in the game. Um, you know, I think uh, Blake struggled a little bit early on in the game, and then he came on. You know, Kenny and him just connected like none other. And it was just great to see, man. You can see the energy coming out of the coaches, out of the players. It was a back-and-forth game, too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't remember that, but you know, it was a it was a back and forth game. You know, and um, they 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 gave us a little scare, but we we put the stamp on it. You know, I think uh, Blake ended up being the MVP of that game, uh, but it was going to be between either him or Kenny Mack. But all three of us had a phenomenal what last three four games of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, where we really put up some huge numbers. As an offense, you know, we seem to be balanced, but, you know, a little bit predictable. Mm. But in that that Houston game, man, everything was clicking on all cylinders. You know, special teams was working for us. Defense were out there, you know, doing what we do best, putting on that that show. And, you know, offense, we maintained and, and, and we made it look good, man. So it was it was it was a real good game. Yeah, people forget how many nail biters that 06 team lost. Florida, Arkansas, Auburn. I mean, there were some there were some heartbreakers in, in that season for sure. That that was a very very good football team. There's no question. Um, Corey, before I get you out of here, of course, we got to talk Shane Beamer. I, I mean, the man of the hour uh, just spoke at uh, SEC Media Days on Monday. Crushed it, killed it. I mean, the momentum right now is through the roof. Gamecock fans are elated, ecstatic about the new era of Carolina football, and I feel like. Guys like you, former players, of course, I've talked to plenty of your former teammates that are so excited Shane Beamer uh, is in the building. I want to go back, though. Did you know him at all as a player? I know he – or, excuse me, when he was a coach, I know you got he got there in 2007. So I don't know how much you crossed paths with him while he was in Columbia. But your overall thoughts on the hiring of Shane Beamer, the new direction of Carolina football, if you did cross paths with him at South Carolina, what you remember about that. But overall, your feelings. Because, again, I feel like most guys like yourself, guys that play with you, are all really excited. There is truly Gamecock blood back in the building and are really excited for him to bring that culture back to Columbia. Well, yes. You know, he was there my my senior year um, as I was leaving out. Uh, what I learned about him, uh, I was more so excited about having him a part of our program when he first came because of the history I know of his father, because his father was recruiting me to go to Virginia Tech. So to have a Beamer on the team, I knew that our special teams was about to be fire. I knew that he was coming to bring the energy. I, I knew that his passion and what he could do was going to change the culture at the, at the school anyway. You know, and he was a part of that same wave of when our program, you know, took off and begat, you know, became who, who we who we once were and will become again is a great team. Um, you know, when he got hired, I knew that our program was getting the best coach that we could find that would really appreciate our fan base, really appreciate the growth that we've had with this, uh, this school, uh, you know, he would really bring back the alumni that, that we haven't seen in a long time. He would unite both eras that were, that he was actually a part of, you know, and, you know, I actually, I can't say it was an interview, but when he was looking for a running backs coach, he did give me a call. Um, you know, he assured me that uh, what I had going on, I was on the right path and that, you know, to keep my head up, keep working hard, keep driving. And, you know, he planned on being here for quite some time. And hopefully with the coaching changes that happen in sports, uh, if he needed a running back, I would, you know, be someone that he would consider. 
Um, and he just loved everything that, um, you know, the school had to offer now since he's left. And I was just excited just to talk to the man and, and see that we had a real game cotton back in the building and that he understood the importance of uh, brotherhood and bringing back the alumni and, you know, building with interstate guys the same way, you know, Lou Holtz did his, his last couple of years, you know, he recognized the athletes that we have in state, you know, he's uh, very, uh, how can I say he's a player's coach, you know, a lot of players relate to him, you know, he meets them right where they are. So they'll fight for him every play. So, you know, sky's the limit for our team this year. You know, I'm actually looking forward to seeing uh, what we do this season, you know, our schedule favors us. So, you know, we should, we should do some pretty good things. Yeah. It's going to be one hell of a year, Corey, uh, in regards to Beamer's first season. And the, like I said, the excitement, the momentum and, and uh, what he's doing in recruiting, like I said, he's actually recruiting the Northeast a good bit, Delaware. They just had a four-star DB today commit from Philadelphia. So and yeah. who knows? He might, Shane Beamer might be finding the next great orange New Jersey running back before it's too long. <laughs> you never know. You never know. He's up there. He's up there. He's all over the place. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you never know. Yep, so, yeah. Some yeah. good ball players up there for sure. Corey, we're going to get you out of here. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Last question before I let you go. We actually took a fan submission question um, from a fan of the Spurs Up show. Elizabeth Ballard wants to know, and like I said, we'll close with this. The player during your playing days that you had the best relationship with on and off the field when you were at South Carolina was who? Oh, that's that's tough. Can you narrow it to one goes. guy or is it a group of guys? I, I'll give you uh, – I won't <laughs> put you on the spot, though. You can say a no, group of guys, whatever. I, uh, Kenny Mack was always my number one guy, you know, but he was my younger brother, so I was an older brother to him. Um, we did everything together, so that was, that was one. But currently – and when I first got to the University of South Carolina is Jabari Levy. You know, he's always been a big brother to me. He was the first person I met when I came to Carolina. And he's also the person that I'm around the most now today. So, you know, <laughs> that was a true brotherhood that I love. And also Ryan Brown, um, who's also from the low country as well. He's a brother of mine's and, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Those those three guys. Not taking anything away from anybody else, but those are my main three guys that are like my brothers. Like we got the same same blood in us, just from another mother. <laughs> for sure, no, for sure. Well, Corey, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Like I said, it's been way too long, and I appreciate you doing this. And uh, you know, glad to hear you're doing well. Obviously, and man, like I said, I can speak for all Gamecock Nation when I say how much of a pleasure it was to watch you do what you did at South Carolina. And like I said, to overcome adversity and to you know, be remembered in the positive light you are and the lasting impact you've had on Gamecock football and Gamecock athletics and in the state of South Carolina as well with the stuff you've done with coaching and the stuff you're doing now with helping helping young men and helping young people in regards to their personal development and their lives and stuff like that. Truly do appreciate you, man, everything you did in Columbia and you continue to do in the state of South Carolina and uh, would definitely love to have you back on again soon, man. I appreciate it. Man, I thank you so much and keep this platform going because, man, you got something great here. But you got to get your game up in that deck, NCAA. Yeah, man. dude, Heisman's hard. Heisman's pretty I, – I will tell you this. So you didn't tune in last night. I played Kentucky and won 
you'd have been very proud because I think I ran the ball like 35 times and I passed it maybe 15 times. So but you, there was you, a, you there was no throwing the ball in the red zone. None. There but, was, but see, but see what I was trying to help you with. You got to make adjustments. I know. Where I just, when it's five to six men in the box, run the ball. It don't matter if it's the same play. They don't have enough in the box. Right. And then if they bring that safety down, then you got to go up top because they can only play cover three or cover one. Even yeah. though it was, you said it was a video game. Listen, if it's in the game, it's, it's in, in the game. game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good point. <laughs> You hey, see what I mean? Dude, I was so, I was hanging out with your buddy Garcia over the weekend too at his quarterback camp, and he and Perry Orth were talking coverages. So I, I was trying to pay as close attention as I could and try to learn and try to incorporate that into the game. I told him though after that meeting, I was like, now I understand why I played baseball because this is just way too <laughs> complex. I, I don't I don't want any of this. I don't want anything to do with this. So the yeah, quarterbacks but, can have that. But you see how complex the game can be. It's not just it's not quite, you know, it changes your mindset when you're in the stadium and people are like, just throw it to him, he's open. It's not quite that simple. It's not quite exactly. that simple. Yeah. Exactly. Or when they exactly. say, hey, just take the ball, just make him miss. Just just, just run through the hole, you know? Like, <laughs> ah, well, you're banking on the other 10 guys doing exactly what they're supposed to do, and 99% of the time that doesn't happen. So exactly. better, you better be good at improvising. Exactly. <laughs> it's sweet poetry in motion. People don't know it. You know, it one person off the beat is off <laughs> yeah that's it that's it well Corey, definitely uh I i'll be going live again later this week so i'll have to let you know so you can coach me through it i i literally might have you as just like my my full-time oc in dc and NCAA football but uh no hey, i would uh, love you to get me on like this where i can talk you through it yeah there you go a couple of plays i can you know hey <laughs> go back to that that's it you know? yeah i got that's you it. champ anytime I and i truly appreciate you and love yeah. you man for sure. He's Corey Boyd. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show.